0: I'm really looking forward to sharing this interview with you today with Jane Koh. She's the creator of A Taste of Cocoa, which is Austin's top food and travel blog. She's been featured in the New York Times, O Magazine, InStyle, and much, much more. But the reason that I'm excited to share with you this interview is because she's going to share things that she's never shared before. In all the interviews that she's done, no one's ever asking her about her Asian identity. And so you'll hear from her about what it was like to grow up with Asian immigrant parents. She emigrated from Taiwan to the U.S. when she was And what it was like to have parents who didn't understand and did not support what it was that she was doing. If you go to her Instagram, A Taste of Cocoa, you'll be able to see the incredible things that she's done, the causes that she gives to, and you know she became an angel investor. She has. Pop up restaurants now, among other things. She's remodeling her second home. So she's done all these incredible things that her parents seemingly have given her grief about, that and dating, telling her that she's not getting any younger. So if any of these things sound familiar to you, the whole reason that I wanted to bring this interview to the forefront is because. I wanted to showcase and highlight someone who definitely pursued their own path, who pursued a non-traditional career, and who did it even when her parents were not supportive or challenged her or questioned her all along the way. So you can see how she took that, those challenges and that adversity, and turn it into this thriving business that she now has. So without further ado, let's dive in. Welcome to the Fuck Saving Face podcast. I'm your host, Judy Tsui, and together we'll explore mental and emotional health for Asian Americans, especially breaking through any taboo topics. Life may not always be pretty, but it is indeed beautiful. Let's make your story beautiful today. Yeah, welcome to the Fuck Saving Face podcast. So we talk about... All things in regards to mental and emotional health for the quote-unquote model minority and just really redefining what it means to be Asian American in the world today, really talking about certain topics or issues or challenges or things that we can celebrate about who we are and how we can show up. So today I have Jane Co. Jane and I met when I was living in Austin, and if you haven't followed her on Instagram, you can go to A Taste of cocoa, and you'll find incredible well, first of all, visually stunning content, (laughs) but then also, you know, talking a lot about the city that I love and I still miss a lot about food and travel. And the reason that I wanted to bring Jane on today is because you live, you know, what I'm going to say is like a non-traditional lifestyle. I mean, it might be traditional now because influencers have become so prominent and popular, but non-traditional in the sense of, for a lot of Asian Americans growing up and being like, You need to become a lawyer or a doctor or some sort of career in that way. And then, you know, some of the things that we'll touch upon, too, is how much we identify as being Asian-American, because I think similar to you, it wasn't in my purview to really like own it or celebrate it or recognize it in a way other than you know, just being in the communities that I was a part of. So I'm just going to turn it over to Jane, and just have you introduce yourself. And what is it that you tell people that you do when you know, you're at speaking events, and awesome things like that.
1: Thank you so much for the warm welcome. I'm so excited to talk today, because a topic that I actually don't get interviewed on hardly ever. And I think because of that, I've just never really needed to talk about it. So Mm -hmm brief intro about myself. My name is Jane Coe. I run A Taste of Cocoa, which is an Austin-based food and travel blog that I launched in 2010. So it is 2021 now. So coming up on 11 years. Wow. 10 years. And um, I've been doing this full time since 2015. Since 2015, I've worked with over 300 brands in every single vertical. Brands as big as Ikea, Target, New York Times to the small CPG brand that you might see on your grocery store shelf. And all of these are within the capacity of an advertising and marketing campaigns. Life update for you. Since the last time we talked, in twenty twenty I have it's it's been important to me to not only shop and support in like the local community here in Austin, but also challenging myself to put my money where my mouth is by not also only donating to the charities that we have here in town, but also investing in brands and companies that are starting and launching here. So mm-hmm. last year I partnered up with a VC firm to launch a angel investing network. So I've stepped into angel investing, did a round of investments last year, also became a partner in a restaurant group here in Austin called house restaurant groups, Asian concepts. We can definitely delve into that. So all kind of like unconventional things that I think people of our background, I don't, I don't want to say like do not do, but maybe feel like it's just not traditional is how I would put it. So a couple of life updates. Um, <laughs> And then my background is I grew up in Taiwan. I was born there and my family moved here when I was three, which is I feel like a lot of people don't know that. I think the typical person who has even followed me for three or four years or things that I hear in passing is like, oh, Coco. Yeah, she's a Dallas girl. She, she's from Dallas. You know, she has like eyelash extension. She has balayage hair. She comes from like a super wealthy family. That's how she's able to eat out all the time, and it's actually the complete opposite. And I, I find that shocking when I hear that from people. And I've asked people like, "Why did you think that's the background it came from?" And they're just like, "Well, based on the brand that you've built, there's no way you would have built this on your own without family help or some sort of financial support, or maybe your family's well connected, or also like the way you carry yourself." It's actually what I hear a lot, which is. I mean, I don't think it's a good or bad thing, but it's always shocking to people when I'm like, no, actually, I was born in Taiwan. My family immigrated when I was three. I'm the only child I grew up in this super small town called Port Lavaca, Texas, with a population of 10,000 people. My family is, I wouldn't say like wealthy, but we definitely didn't have problems putting food on the table, but definitely not wealthy. My dad still drives. I don't know how old that car is. The Honda Odyssey He's driven it for 15 years probably now, and like, my parents just... Like always, growing up, it's like we never had enough money. Is what they would tell me. So I always grew up thinking like we didn't have enough money. I had to like really make a living for myself. And so definitely like not the impression that I think the typical person who follows a taste of cocoa thinks I came from.
0: That's amazing. I mean, there are so many elements of that that I'd like to ask you about. And part of it is like the mental emotional component of you know having that comment of someone saying that it's the way that you carry yourself and like how, you know, confident you are. Was that something that was nurtured when you were growing up?
1: No, definitely not. So it's the complete opposite because I'm the only child and I'm Asian and also female. Mm-hmm. My parents definitely sheltered me and babied me. And as a Taiwanese person, I think this is quite common in households being, you know, Taiwanese is that like growing up, my dad was always like, Okay, you're gonna go to college, but you're just gonna find a nice boy and you're gonna get married and you're just gonna become a housewife. Because that's what my mom is. She's a housewife, she's super smart. I definitely didn't get her side of the genetics from that side of the family. Like, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't, I wasn't blessed with the math and all these things. But that was what I was reinforced growing up is like, hey, someone's just gonna take care of you and like you're not capable of doing things on your own. Like, that was just like, and I was just such a scared child growing up. Like, my, Dad would show me these videos and when I was like three or four, and it's like I would constantly be crying or he had to hold me because I was such a scared child and I felt like I couldn't do things on my own just because – and I love my parents, but that's just kind of the upbringing that they chose to bring me up in because they had such a hard life in Taiwan and they felt like it was their duty – With the hardships that they had to go through with their family situations to shelter that from their only daughter, right? Mm -hmm. And they were like, "We're gonna protect her from all the bad things that could possibly happen." Mm -hmm. But I think the issue with that is, when bad things happen, I won't be able to react and take care of myself because I've been so sheltered. And I think they didn't realize, like, letting me go to UT in Austin, that I would have that culture shock. But even Mm -hmm. growing up, my parents. Again, like, going back to, like, oh, things are not safe or we don't want you hanging out with X, Y, and Z. Like, I wasn't allowed to have, like, we don't even gonna talk about if I was even allowed to have boyfriends. <laughs> I'm, like, 31 right now. And I think they realized, like, my mom, like, a couple months ago was, like, you're not getting any younger. <laughs> I was, like, that is so hurtful. And this is after I broke up with my doctor boyfriend, which we'll uh, get into. Yeah. Which is a classic, like, thing that Asian parents love. Oh, Totally. Yeah, so this is after I broke up with him. And I was like, aren't you so glad I broke up with this person? You hated him. And she's like, yeah, Jane, but you're not getting any younger. Mm. And you need to be more serious about finding a partner. Mm. And I was like, but I don't want to because I'm thriving on my own. Mm. And everyone that I've dated has held me back Mm. with convictions. Whereas back then, growing up, absolutely no boyfriends. I wasn't even allowed to have friends. I wasn't allowed to go to summer camp. I wasn't allowed to go to people's houses, sleep over, like the classic, like, american thing to do because they were like it's unsafe these people will influence you to have things that you we aren't willing to give you so mm-hmm. growing up it's like even something little like this doesn't sound so sad but <laughs> growing up i always wanted a mcdonald's happy meal oh, uh-huh. <laughs> and being an asian parent it's not a good value buy <laughs> it's like i don't know how much you're going for now like five for dollars and it's really just the toy in the box But that would be like such a little thing where I'm like, mom, when we go to McDonald's, like, can I have the Happy Meal? And she's like, no, we're going to do this coupon instead that gets you like buy one, get one free burgers or something. But it was just constantly being told, no, Mm. you can't have that. No, you can't go to that girl's place and sleep over because we don't like her parents and we don't like how she's being raised or... Me not being doing well in anything in school, like whether it was athletics or band or choir or art, like it was just constant reinforcement of like, well, that's okay. That's okay. And like, as I grew up into my twenties, I started challenging well, but I don't want it just to be okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I feel like this is going to be really like, intimate conversation. But <laughs> I don't get asked these questions. But yeah, that was the kind of childhood I grew up with. And so no, I didn't have like, you know, Wealth that my family gave me, and even when I talk to other, this is actually a conversation I've had a lot with people in 2020. Is like, well, like what you know, kind of just put all of us to kind of like take a step back and look at where we are in life. And I've had this conversation actually quite a bit with people who, where they've asked me like, your parents must be so proud of you. They must be so supportive. And even a couple of days ago, someone asked me, they he's like, do you like your parents? I was like, that a very. Weird question. Yeah. Weird if I said no. <laughs> and you, how would you describe them? And I was like, they were supportive in the most unsupportive way. Mm. It's actually mm. how now that I'm 31 and I'm at where I am now, that's actually how I would sum it up is that they're supportive in the most unsupportive way of restricting me from doing all the things when, from like age 5 to 18 and just being you can't do this you can't have that or it's okay that you couldn't do this or that and then me challenging that throughout my 20s of trying to prove myself to mm. them but also to myself that I can do all the things and then now getting to my 30s where they're like Jane don't do this like you already have so much like you want all the things and what's going to happen when you're disappointed and so that's i think that's always been my drive and mm. i kind of see this with Maybe some of my friends who aren't only children but do have supportive parents and they don't really want more things out of life. And there's just nothing wrong with that because, you know, I also envy my friends who are like, oh, man, my parents have always been supportive no matter what I do. Like, I've taken two years off now and they're like, you're killing it. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't say that. Before. No, But I, I think it's just you. And there's also successful entrepreneurs who also have very, you know, supportive parents, too. It's just like think. I was put in that situation and I challenged it, which is not common for our culture. Mm -hmm. Is you, I mean, my parents knew that I couldn't do higher education because I just wasn't good in academics. So their alternative was like, well, we're just going to marry her off as somebody who is doing well and they're going to take care of her. Hmm. Which, to their disappointment, I have not done that yet. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, to answer your question, it was the quite complete opposite was I was given nothing and restricted to everything and I decided to challenge all of that.
0: I love the way that you put that, that they were supportive in the most unsupportive ways. And I think that for a lot of, I mean, I think that there's the difference between nurture and nature. So each of us have some sort of innate power within us. And then some of us are heavily influenced by the environment that we grew up in. And so for some, they would thrive as you did, like, you know, challenging authority and whatnot. And then for others, it would be very, very detrimental, like really hurtful or would hold you back. So I love the fact that you took that and used it as a motivating factor to become, you know, who you are. And so as you started doing that, like as you started challenging them, and, and I love that you also reflect that someone asked you, you know, are they supportive and happy for you now? And I think that for a lot of Asian culture, there's always like, it's not enough, or, you know, it's okay, but it could be better. And so I love that you've also kind of switched that around and looked at it in the lens of Why not have all the things? Why not have like the kind of life that you want to create the way that you want to create it? Can you talk about that doctor boyfriend bit? (laughs) Uh,
1: Let's touch on dating briefly. (laughs) It's not that I want to be defined by my dating history, but I also will honestly say it's gotten me to where I am. So... I think seeing my parents like marriage, like they're definitely like much in a happier place now, but I definitely saw a lot of like fighting and like mm-hmm. you know a lot of, we didn't, we never had money problems. But I think like being Asian, like money's always like kind of the core of a lot of like fights. Mm-hmm. So I think that for me, that was always a financial insecurity and I'm glad my parents will never probably hear listen to this podcast, but this is also, I think an important thing for me to share, which I've never shared actually publicly before is like, Asian mothers are highly manipulative. Oh yeah, oh, do not yeah. think so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, in the, in the most caring way. <laughs> I would also add, like, there's yeah. like, a positive thing mm-hmm. to this. Anything negative I say is that growing up, my mom would basically be like, "We not We don't have any money, so we can't go on vacation. This is why you can't have these all these things that you want. This is why you can't go to summer camp or whatever." And anything I wanted to be like, no, we just can't afford that or we're not going to buy that for you. And so for me, like financial insecurity was such like a thing in my head was like, okay, but what if I want that KitchenAid mixer? Yeah. What if I don't want to use this shitty Sony com- computer that my parents bought me like five years ago and I want the nice and shiny, like this is like twenty two thousand seven, 2007. So yeah. Apple was still like, you know, a big, I mean, mm-hmm. it's still a big one now, but it was like, but what if I want a MacBook? hmm and my parents don't buy it for me. So for me, like becoming financially independent was super, super important to me, mm-hmm. which I think for a lot of Asian Americans, were restricted by that. But I think very few want to break that ceiling of like, but I want that nicer thing instead. And there's nothing wrong with everybody else that's doing this. But they're like, okay, I'll just go find a job that will pay 50k a year. So then mm-hmm. I can pay the things I want to do. But for me, I was like, no, I want more than that. Because it's not just the MacBook. It's going to be the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. So, growing up, because my mom held that over my head, it finally took me being 31 and buying my second home in Austin, where my parents were like, You can't afford this. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this alone without the boyfriend? This is before they knew I was going to break up with him. Mm -hmm. My dad was like, Don't do this. What does he want to do? Do it together with him. So then, y'all are continuing on that path. And I was like, didn't tell my parents because I knew they were going to freak out if I told them. I was like, I'm going to break up with him soon. It's just a matter of timing. Mm-hmm. And then coming back to me and saying like, well, you can't even do this alone. And I was like, but I can.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And my mom being like, you can't. You don't have the money. I was like, but I do, mom. Mm-hmm. I can pay for all of this on my own. And she's like, how? And I was like, I don't think you understand. I told this to her Mandarin over the phone is, I was like, I don't think you understand how much your daughter's been working this last 10 years. Mm-hmm when you don't see me working 80, 90 hours a week mm-hmm. for years now, working mm-hmm. till 3 to 4 a.m. Not because I wanted financial independent, you know, that can only drive so much, but because I just built this life that I love. And mm-hmm. so for me, like, I don't feel like I'm working all these years because I've been building this big, beautiful thing that I didn't realize. So I've just been mm-hmm. doing brick by brick. But be able to say to them at the age of 31, like, no, I can do my second property. mm mm-hmm. I did my first one. Now I'm going to do my second one on my own. I don't need you guys. Mm. would love for you to come stay in the house. And that's what I would love. This is why I'm buying this house. So you guys have somewhere to stay when you come. But them still trying to control me at the age of 31 being like, well, you can't buy this. So don't buy it. Or we'll go half in with you on it. So then we have rights to the house. And I'm like, no, mm. it's important to me that I can buy this house by myself. And this is not going to be the last one. Mm. I think for them, like we got into huge, huge fight. And like, I think they were like supportive in the most unsupportive way but also realizing like i think even i think my dad like kind of realized that time it's like we can't control her anymore mm. and i think there's a little bit of sadness with that it's like mm. that was the only thing that we could hold her back is money because mm. mm-hmm. they even even occasionally my mom be like oh we have you know we have all this stuff like i don't know cds or whatever i don't know too much about the financial mm-hmm. that kind of that's like long-term investing, and she's like, "You can access this when you're fifty, and we were saving all this for you." And I was like, "I think you should." I've been like, "I think you should spend it." I was mm-hmm. like, "I don't, I don't want it. Don't, want it. And don't hold that over my head." Also, mm. like, come oh, fifty, like, what am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, it's <laughs> i was fifty. to do before thirty-five, Mom. Not waiting till 50. <laughs> So, yeah, when I go back to like defining moments is. In college, I had a Korean boyfriend for about four and a half years, and he wanted to get married within the first two years. And we were still in college. And at that time, because looking at my parents' marriage and the dynamics of that, I was super turned off by the thought of marriage. I was like, if that's what marriage is, I don't want really to be controlled by my husband. And my, well, my daddy doesn't really do that with my mom, but you definitely see it, right? Like she had to sacrifice her life of leaving Taiwan and coming here and raising me. And there's a language barrier, so she never like looked for a job and just like the whole dynamics of it I was like really turned off by marriage and I was like I don't ever want to get married like I want to be independent and I can do things on my own but my college boyfriend that we dated for four and a half years I think for him he held on for the additional two and a half years because he kept thinking I was gonna change my mind and that was the last thing he told me he's like I thought you would change your mind by now but you're clearly not and I'm not can't wait for you anymore and he's like you also He was also like, because I started my blog by then, and he had said, I know you. This is just a starting point. You just started this website, but I already know how big you're going to make it. You're going to want to move to New York. And Mm -hmm. all I want is a wife that's going to be home when I get home from work and have dinner in the kitchen. And he's like, that is not you.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: That will never be you. Mm -hmm. Even though we were so young at that time, we were like 12. 20 2021 but mm-hmm. he already saw that and he's like i want more of a traditional asian girl that's gonna be home when i come home from work and i you know i was just like well maybe maybe in four years and i'll change my mind he's like you're not you're not gonna change your mind i know you you're very head bent on this and you building this website is just the start of like a whole thing and i just know that and it's actually like Fast forward, like, seven years later, he emailed me out of the blue. He forwarded me the Best Buy newsletter because I was featured on the Best Buy newsletter. And he's, mm. like, "He all he wrote was, like, told you. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that's funny. Yeah. So that was the first boyfriend. And then I was probably single for, like, five months. And then actually our, like, friend circle also pursued me heavily during that time. So then I started dating the second guy. And we dated for also, like, I don't know four and a half years I've been like jumping to long <laughs> jumping between long term relationships, and this guy was chinese, very very successful. I would totally i would redo any of my relationships in the order that i that they happened, but especially this one, even though it was such a shitty shitty situation but just because of how type a driven and successful he was because during that time I was between the age of like i think twenty three or twenty seven and i I feel like it's so important when you're in your early twenties and mid thirties of how you spend your time and who you're spending it with because you're like a sponge. Mm-hmm. By the time you're thirty, you're already old and you like kind of set in your ways and it's kind of like too late. <laughs> um, but during that time, like I was like a sponge and I absorbed all of his type A and like workaholic like tendencies because he was working like ninety hours a week. Mm-hmm. The only way we could possibly hang out was me being at his office and also working and. Mm-hmm. Wanting to continue building my brand and with a lot of couple of other businesses I had built during that time. But again, I was hit with the same situation. We had a very like affluent family who was like, When are you quitting your job and moving to Dallas? And you're just gonna take care of our son Hmm. and you're not anything for the rest of your life. And I was like, A, we're living in Austin. I don't know if you told you we're moving to Dallas. We're not moving to Dallas. I have a house here. And they're like we're gonna sell it And i was like no i'm most certainly not <laughs> I, mean, I could rent it out but I'm most certainly not selling it and b i was like i know you guys have a very like nice lifestyle. So y'all are very rich but i don't need your money and i don't want your money mm. that's the second thing was again being controlled by money and i think like they were like we're basically gonna set you for life why would you not want that mm. and and the thing that you'd have to sacrifice is your career. And I was like, well, B, I don't want your money. I don't need your money. I have enough money on my own. And C, I was like, I'm not quitting my job. I will quit my job when I want to, but I'm definitely not being forced to quit my job based on some timeline that you guys have. The last thing he told me before he broke up with me was that my mom said, "Are you gonna be difficult?" <laughs> and broke up with me.
2: Oh my god.
1: And nearly shot all these family portraits. Like I think I'm probably still on the wall, and they're <laughs> Oh my goodness! Yeah, that didn't go well. <laughs> um, yeah, and then the third one, which I met like I think a month later on Bumble, was Asian guy, half white, half Taiwanese. So I was like, maybe you'll have a little bit more open mindedness, right? Being half white, he was a doctor, and I was like, yes, i the doctor. My parents going be so freaking happy. This is exactly what they wanted. All the things, doctor you know, all these things. And that relationship was two and a half years. And it's just so interesting is that I would date another doctor just to like get some data on this. (laughs) They're so full of themselves, which is like the general like stereotype. But having dated one, I'm like, they definitely are where he was like, you know, like being an influencer blogger, he was constantly like, you need to find a real job. And I want to be like, you are sure you're a attending right now, but I make way more money than you. So who really needs to get a real job mm-hmm. right now? Mm-hmm. And like my business can go as high as it wants, right? Whereas you're capped by a salary cap. But having constantly having that like kind of power struggle where he was just like, "Well, when I'm done with my attending to become a full time, like you know whatever in in the hospital, you're gonna quit your job and like the same thing again." Mm. And I was like, no, I'll quit my job when I want to. And I actually really love my job right now. Like, I am building myself up to where I hopefully don't have to work as much in two years. But knowing me, I'm going to want to work because I love my job. And it's just, again, hitting that restriction. And then the same thing happened when I met his mom was, again, like, when are you quitting job? When are you going to, mm-hmm. like, X, Y, and Z with my son and take care of him? And I'm like, again, A, not quitting my job. And B, like, I'm not following these traditional mindsets. Mm-hmm. And her just being like, you work so much, like, when are you going to stop working? Mm. Like, I don't understand. I love working. This is not like me going to the office and, you know, struggling and working like 50 or 60 hours a week. It's different. And I think for my parents, they also, the reason why they did not approve of him was just because he was constantly superior in his, like, thought process. And so I had a lot of like, the last couple of years I've had a lot of public facing situations. So I, like I self published my own book. So I had a like a lot of book signings. Like I had a book launch party. I had a launch at Normstrom and just like situations like that where my parents were like, Where is he? Why is he not here? And I'm like, Well, I was like, he's mom like I would just make things up. I'm like, he's he's working. He had like, you know, patient meetings. I just it's just he didn't want to come. He was like, this is not worth my time. Mm. So my parents saw it as unsupported. Obviously it was. But for me I was like it's fine i don't need him here i move faster on my own and then it took like up until two days before me turning 31 when i realized i was like i just texted him i was like i'm fucking done mm. Give her shit when i get back invitation mm. so two days before my birthday on before i turned 31 and i told myself i was like if you turn 31 and you're still with this person you're just as miserable as you are or if you love your job infinite more times in your relationship like you did that to yourself and you will never forgive yourself so and to my surprise when i told my parents about the breakup my dad was like oh thank god you <laughs> wrong with that person and he's like he just didn't care for you jane like he's like as much as you are so independent on your own right now he's like it makes us feel better that someone is there to take care of me. You know, because again, Mm. my parents like still want, they still want someone who's going to take care of me. Whereas I'm like, I don't need someone to take care of me, but he wasn't even just doing the bare minimum. Mm. So yeah, that's the story on that one.
0: What would you say? Cause I love the, you know, self-direction and, Just the desire and the drive that you have within to challenge what has been tried and true, because obviously it's repeated so many times now in your different dynamics of people wanting you to be a certain way or specifically like the money element of it. If you were to offer advice to anybody who's kind of stuck in those situations and needs that nudge or encouragement to create the kind of life that they actually want to have, I mean, listening to you, there were so many friendships that I had in high school and beyond with fellow Asian American friends who just did the things that their parents wanted them to do. I think it's like, just like anything else, it's easier to do the known thing, or to know what battles you're going to be fighting than the unknown and to like really step out there. And again, it's like to each their own, obviously, and we all have different personal, you know, maturity, spiritual lessons to learn along the way but in your experiences to kind of create the life, because what I've heard you say a lot is you have this life that you love, which I love that you have this life that you you know love. And I think that so many people want that to every day go to work, quote unquote, and not feel like it's work or to like just feel like you're doing everything that you were put on this planet to do and to really shine in that way. What would you say?
1: And I say this in the most humble way of getting to where I am right now, because I have done it, it's a little different if I did come from a wealthy family, right? And I was given like, you know, I leg up, but because I honestly built myself up from the ground up without having anything is, I mean, it's, it's easy to say, it's hard work. Like I, once I got to Austin, I identified really quickly on like survival, the fittest. I'm not going to survive if I don't take my life in my own hands. And while I can't get into law school, med school, or business school, or care to go into those, I need to figure something out pretty quickly. So within the first semester, I was like, okay, just need to graduate, bear minimum, get that diploma, probably not gonna do anything with it. So let's just not allocate time towards going to class. Again, go to college kids. <laughs> this is <was> my mind <laughs> that was like, well, since I'm not gonna do anything with my diploma, I'm not gonna spend time on that from a skirt vibe not going to class which I do not recommend anyone to do but that was my strategy during that time and I instead worked for part time jobs because I was a very scared person still had a lot of difficulty doing public speaking or even not even being able to do this interview with you right now to mm. the childhood I was I was raised on right so I was like okay that was fine when I was younger but moving forward just looking around the university I was like I'm so behind in life. Like, I can't even compete with not just people that I went to school with, but everyone from Dallas, Houston, in out of state. And I was like, the first thing I need to get over is public speaking and just having, be able to have a conversation with someone without having anxiety. And so much anxiety on that. So I did four part time jobs every semester. One of them was scooping dipping dots at the football games. I was a mentor for freshman students. And then I was a tower tour guide at the t- tower every weekend, giving tours to like groups of people. And the last thing was I started doing marketing, working in the marketing department for university housing and food. So just a lot of things to learn and learn and learn and push myself out of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I've constantly done. Anything that kind of scares the crap out of me, I will just kind of jump on it head on. From there, I worked at different startups, also doing marketing. That's around the time I started my website. I think I've always just been like, if I don't understand something... I think the thing, the greatest thing that happened to me during doing it in 2010 to 2015, building my brand and working for all these companies is not having the luxury of not only just having money, but also having the resources to just hire it out. Because now people who are starting to own businesses in 2020 or even 2018, you don't know social media. That's okay. You can hire someone to do it for you. You don't know how to do photography. You can hire a freelancer to shoot photos for you. But I was like 20, 21 when I started all this. So I had to figure everything out on my own. And I highly encourage anyone who is working for themselves or starting some sort of business is try to learn as many things on your own because you'll just move so much faster. And we do have capital. Sure, you can offer hiring someone to do it for you. But just having that foundation of like, like even now within our restaurant group, I'm like, we need social. Like I stepped in, and I was like, social's not being done right enough. Let me show you guys how to do it better. Photos, photos look like shit. Let me shoot them. We do it better. We get the photos within one hour. We don't have to wait for an agency to get photos back to us in two weeks. We don't mm-hmm. have time for that. It's just moving faster and just having me like a jack of all trades, mm-hmm. if you will, very handy. So, because I was constantly building my personal brand from twenty ten twenty fifteen, what happened in Austin is Austin became not just a college town during that time, but also a very in demand market, which you saw during the time you're here mm-hmm. is. You now Austin's like the best city quote unquote to live in a nation everyone's moving here right now and I was happy to I was lucky to be in the right place at the right time during this growth so as brands were wanting to tap into this demographic like brands like Target, Ikea, Jameson, Whole Foods whatever I was like one of the top choices being considered for advertising campaigns and I was the face of Miami tourism for Project New York Times like A city that I don't even live in. And when that project happened, a lot of people were like, one, how did that happen? Two, was that like your dream goal to be featured in New York Times? And I was like, no, not even an attainable goal. Mm. To be like, I want to be in New York Times and then, and then it happens. Like, no, that doesn't happen. (laughs) It was just handed to me. Mm -hmm. But because of so much groundwork I've done, I didn't realize that it was leading my, I was leading myself up to that. Mm -hmm. But during this time, I was still working a lot of like, like I had a social media agency I was running, like I was doing consulting, like constantly just like there are how many hours in a day? There's 24 hours. <laughs> like sometimes I forget. 24 hours in a day. I don't know how many hours out of the week, but I was hitting like 80, 90 hours a week.
2: Mm.
1: And I, I loved it because I just, it's kind of like you hit success, then you kind of get a high from it and you just want more of which I guess that might be some as addiction. <laughs> <laughs> separate story that we could talk (laughs) about but that's how I did it and so for anyone who is confined by being Asian American by the things you know that are the norm and you want to break away from that that's how I did it it was just Mm -hmm. hard work and honestly not telling my parents which is I know a terrible thing to do but I think a lot of Asians do that like we just don't tell our parents because we love them we just don't want them to worry yeah but for me I'm like you're just gonna slow me down so I'll just tell you afterwards And like I didn't tell my parents about the blog I didn't tell them I quit my job in 2015 until after maybe two years later I was like oh by the way you know that job like yeah I quit that two years ago but I've been <laughs> building my blog and my parents are like Jane it's not a real job you have to find a real job it's, like not why we sent you to college or whatever And I had to pull up my financials i was like this is how much revenue your daughter's making and everything's going to be fine. And I found myself a talent agency because I knew I needed representation, even though that was 2017 and it was still pretty uncommon. But I was like, I am pulling off on the side of the road to sign contracts. And this is not the way I knew I need to sign myself up with an agency. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed to find a CPA, just like really start outsourcing things because I had the capital to do so, but also get myself the most important thing back is time. Mm-hmm. for me it's time. But that was the same thing. Even when I decided to do the book, it was a pretty big investment upfront to self-publish. I didn't want to go with a publisher because a lot of publishers all told me like no one needs another travel book in- on Austin. travel books just don't do well. And I was like, great, thanks for your advice. I'll do this on my own in a couple of years when I feel mm-hmm. like the time is right. Mm-hmm. And for me during that time, I was a month away from turning thirty, which for me, like, I feel like most people... Maybe, especially Asian American, usually get married by 30. So I felt like for me, like the, my life was going to end. Yeah. <laughs> i at the age of 30, and I like told that boyfriend at the time, I was like, it's my goal to get engaged and married by 30.
2: Mm.
1: And I knew it was probably not going to happen, but maybe by some miracle, he was going to surprise me. He didn't. I was like, okay, I need to take the life in my own hands. I need to do this book now. If I don't do it now, I'll never do it. So the month before I turned 30, i started putting together the pages of coco's guide to austin luckily had the capital hire a designer also several editors and then would went to all these printing companies to look at paper small paper feel them figure out like how i really wanted this book to look and then i launched a book and i again another project that i didn't tell my parents about because i knew they're going to be like well how much is this going to cost like what if it doesn't sell like my mom was like don't order 1500 copies it's gonna be sitting in the garage and i went through all those copies in the first two months
2: because
1: mm. she was just like jane what if they don't sell they're gonna sit they're sitting in the garage and whatever whatever but it's again like just not telling them and i was like i'm just gonna do it if it fails that means i'm doing it right it's like I'm doing enough things that things are failing but what if it doesn't fail
0: mm-hmm. I like that perspective on failure because I think that, you know, what you were saying, a lot of the cautionary approach that Asian American parents have or Asian parents have is that fear of disappointment and that fear of failure. And that that's something that I've had to learn how to shift my own daughter is to encourage her that failure is okay. That, you know, like you said, like if you're failing, that's a good sign. Like you're trying, you're doing things, you're, you know, expanding your realm of possibility, and then learning and then also not just taking people's input at face value. And so if someone tells you, no, that's not going to work, you didn't let that stop you. And I think that that's another thing that if you don't have that inner confidence and that inner drive, it can be really easy when someone puts up a roadblock for you to just be like, okay, like, I'm not going to give it a shot. So my daughter is like six now. And very early on, I saw her have this kind of attitude of, while beating herself up if it weren't perfect like the first get-go and so I knew she was like picking that up from me or like just like you know from uh, the environment so it was something that I actively had to work on of encouraging her to fail that failure provides wisdom and like lessons if you take it and use it in that way and then also even just for me it's just to like verbally out loud make a mistake and say like whoops like I made a mistake, or I tried this and it didn't work. And so instead of having that illusion that like, you've got it, have it all figured out all the time. And I think that that's really great. And I think one of the things that I remember too, is when I first met you, you were doing a speaking event for Bumble. And I remember you sharing your story that for the first was it year of you having your blog, like no one was reading it. Nobody was like, you know, doing anything. Yeah. Yeah, so and but you persisted and you kept going on even despite that. And I know that you also mentioned you started other ventures along the way, like you had a macaroon company, you know, you had all of these different things. And I think that um <laughs> it's it's remarkable because I think that's the other thing that people don't see is that what they're seeing is what's coming back to them on the screen. You know, they're seeing the Instagram grid and like all of the success that you have now. But like you mentioned. You were putting in all of that groundwork for so long and having faith in yourself. And if it wasn't, you know, this venture, then you were going to pivot into something else. Yeah. So for anybody, like, is there any other bit of advice that you would want to share or just something that, like, I know, and I'm really grateful that during this interview, you shared different things that you don't usually talk about. Cause I don't think this is being Asian American or identifying in that way, having that be at the forefront of the work that you do. Is there anything else that you wish like more people would know about or just in this idea of, you know, fuck saving face? Is there something that you just really want to put out there and say?
1: I recently met someone and there was this moment when they looked at me and during conversation and I've been like a big proponent of the universe and all the things because I'm just very type A and want things to be in control and just being disappointed in life in general, like why, like for me, like for example, like dating, like that was something I really struggled with the last couple of months. And I feel like the last three weeks for some, it just happened one day where I was like, it just disappeared. Like I just finally was able to release and be like, you know what, Whatever is coming to me will come to me when the right time. And the only thing I can do right now is work on myself. And I like stopped being so fixated on that. But there was this person I met recently, and it was such a defining moment because I feel like, it's not that I needed to hear that because I have several things in the pipeline right now that I'm like kind of working on, but it was just like that scary moment when someone looks at you dead in life and they're and they say like, I want you to dream big Mm. as big as you can so much that it scares the crap out of you. Mm. And I actually don't know if anyone's ever told me that just because I've done a lot of things and I don't need that kind of reinforcement, but I kind of want to repeat that with the people who are listening right now is like dream big like and when I say big it's not about like oh starting a company or starting like some sort of business or something it's just like every day like what's something that you're going to do and I think a lot of people don't think about like each day on its own they're like thinking okay here's my five-year plan or here's my 10-year plan for me I'm like what are you doing this week and what are you doing tomorrow and what are you how do you spend your hours today like I do t- Fill my calendar every single day with meetings and like conversations and like projects I need to do. But the thing is, like, this is what people don't see on the inside, right? They're not seeing me build all these bricks and blocks every single hour. They're only seeing the end result and they're like, oh, that was so easy for her to do. Look how she got to that. I'm like, no, you don't know. Like, me wrapping books on Christmas Eve to fulfill like 500 orders that I needed to go out the next day at Christmas Day while I had my other hand on my laptop editing like five ad projects Mm. at 4 a.m. in the morning. Like this was last year. It was like the lowest moment in my life, Mm. I think. Be working that hard. And I was like, what have you done? Like we cannot put ourselves in this situation. We need to work smarter, not harder next year. But it's like every hour I'm always working on something. And like I think for anyone who's listening is Whatever you want to achieve, like you really can. You just need to be prepared to put in the work because it's not gonna be easy. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is like it doesn't come without sacrifice. Like I think people look at a taste of cocoa and they're like, Wow, she's so lucky. She had like her family's wealthy, they did all these things for her or look at how successful the Kogo brand is. And she's done so many amazing projects. And then she now has a restaurant project. And then like, I think by the time this podcast will go up, I will have announced my second home project, which Mm -hmm. kind of anticipating the hate that will probably come with it is like, Oh man, you're lucky your parents bought this for you. like, Oh, the rest of majority of people are on unemployment. I'm like, I work my ass off every single hour to save as much money as I could to get to the second property. Mm. Like It was not given to me. Like I worked for every single dollar that I put towards this home and I'm excited to share this project with my audience. But it's like people didn't see all the things to get to that point. But also like banishing the Asian American like culture that even my dad told me, like I said earlier, was like, Jane, don't do this. Mm. Do it with a man, mm. or do it with that guy that I was seeing at that time. He's like, you need to learn to share
2: mm.
1: and try to let someone care for you. And I was like, no, he's taking too long. I don't have time for him to get his shit together. Mm. Like, I need to pull the trigger on this now. And me just being a little like cocky, a little bit hot headed, and even my parents after a week after they were like, no, to do this. I was like, oh, I put my deposit down, and the rest of the neighborhood is sold out now because real estate in Austin is so hot. Like you can't wait. Mm. Even when I did this restaurant project, I didn't even tell them until like a month in and my dad's like, "Don't do this. Like restaurants are so hard. You know this? Like you don't you're not even you don't even have time to sleep right now." And I was like, "Dad, I'm not asking you. <laughs> I was like, we're we're past asking." I was like, "I'm 4 weeks into this project. I've renovated the restaurant. There's a giant sign outside with my name on it." And I was like, "Not asking, I'm just telling you that I've became a partner in this hospitality group and I'm excited when you and mom come to Austin because now you can eat at my restaurant. Mm. I think it's taking them a while now. And just even me, even my dad like constantly telling me like, okay, take a breath. Don't push the guy so much because he's like, you're giving them so much pressure to do more and do better. And I'm like, yeah, but if everything in my life is tightened up with this new project, it needs to be tightened up too. And I'm going to run it how I run my day to day but also having to understand like, okay, being respectful and also taking my, a step back and also being able to be a team player, which is not something I've ever been good at. Um mm-hmm. uh, being a team player and being able to play in a team capacity to build something greater is something that I've been learning these last four months on this project. So yeah, like, I think, I don't know. It's just like, I guess I, and going back to like what I said beginning of this conversation, I think my mindset is like, I've never considered myself to be Asian American and have myself be defined by that. I don't know if that's a little bit of it. And even like, this is like kind of like personal too. It's like, I don't have a lot of Asian friends, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, maybe that was subconsciously intentional just because the few I used to have be friends with, like they work nine to five. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's like, I'm like, oh, how was your week? What did you do? And they're like, I went to work, came home. Play video games, and they're like, "What do you done?" I'm like, "Well, IKEA just featured my home in three major magazines. I have gone on four trips this month, and I, you know, it's just not realistic." Mm-hmm. And I think, from even from a friendship perspective, there's a disconnect, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's why I've slowly naturally distanced myself from
2: mm-hmm.
1: I don't that demographic, but I think it's just because I'm not on the same page, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm thinking like a million miles. In other direction Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and yeah I don't know I guess I just never had that define myself but also I think in this in 2020 with you know the pandemic situation I never realized how privileged I've been to create this life for myself because even talking to other creators in that time I, I did like I don't know, like 10 Zoom calls a week. Like I was just constantly out, reaching out to ad agencies, also other creators to figure out how they were pivoting during this time. Mm-hmm. But also a lot of other Asian American content creators that I've known from a digital standpoint, but also reaching out to them and having conversation with them during that time was one of the interesting things. They were like, are you not experiencing any racism or stigma in Texas? And they're like, you should be because it's such like an American state, right? And I was like, no, actually, like I never really thought about that. and." Mm-hmm. Especially the ones that live in New York, they were experiencing so much racism, like, Mm. you know, just bad words, being kicked, or whatever, like, really awful situation, right? Like, Chinatown was going through a lot. Mm. And I was like, no, actually, I've not experienced any racism. And I was like, never really thought about that. It's like when I'm out and about in Austin, especially with all the restaurants that I frequent every week people know what I look like. Like I'm out and about they're like, well, oh, you're Coco or I'm sitting next to a restaurant. Like someone next to me will be like, Oh my gosh, we're eating here because of you. And people are very, very nice. But that's the thing though, because mm-hmm. I built my brand up all these years and I do have a very distinguished look being, you know, one of the few Asian influencers, if you will, mm-hmm. in Austin As people do know me by face. And mm-hmm. so because of my brand, I've been very lucky and privileged to not have experienced any stigma or racism. Mm -hmm.
0: That's lovely. I mean, I think that you touched upon the thing that all, you know, I've been writing about and talking about is that the um, American Western culture of independence and going after what you want is often very much at odds with the Asian upbringing of fit in, do whatever you can to like, you know, follow the tried and true path. And so I think that what you were saying about, realizing that there was this disconnect with some of the friends that you had is because you were moving into this direction that isn't necessarily normalized or celebrated. I mean, even in the battles within your own family of like what they're thinking is going to be best for you. And so I think that in the next you know, few years to come. And especially like me being a parent, I'm hoping to continue to challenge that. And then whatever brings you joy, if it brings you joy to go find a full-time job and work that, then that's great. But if it brings you other joys to go pursue your own brand and creative pursuits, then hopefully hearing from you and you know listening to this podcast will give you more of those opportunities to find that. So I'm so grateful for your time. You've been so wonderful. I'm excited for all of the ventures that you have. And I can't wait to follow your home remodel. I love interior design and all that. And then also the restaurant group and everything. Um, it's so exciting. So if anybody is in Austin, which is a city so dear and close to my heart, please go check out all the places that Jane recommends. And I'm excited for everything to come. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did and that you'll feel inspired to maybe live more authentically to pursue the things that you've wanted, even if on the outside or even those closest to you might not understand why it is that you want to do the things that you're doing. Stay tuned for Friday when we have a mindfulness practice that ties this all in. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard and know someone in your life who might also benefit from hearing this episode, please feel free to share it with them. Also, if you'd like to support our show, you can make a one-time donation at fucksavingface.com or you can make a recurring donation at patreon.com forward slash fucksavingface. That's fuck without the U. Subscribe today to stay tuned for all future episodes.